there's an unlocking happening in the church, and it really is centered around looking at Him, um, beholding Him. Um, but, you know, I think we've got to be very careful that the language of intimacy and beholding can, can become familiar, right? I mean, we're hearing it, I don't know, majority of, if I listen to stuff being preached, like, this is the language that's coming through the bride right now. I love it. Many people are talking like this, but it can very quickly become familiar where when we talk about looking at Jesus, it can very much feel like, okay, yes, where am I, must I look? And, you know, I think that's, you know what I'm saying? And I'm, I'm, I'm not as funny as the eight. Sorry, I'm trying. Just rough, tough crowd. <laughs> I'm teasing. But, but sometimes we get familiar with that, and we go like, okay, I'm trying to navigate what that means for my life. How do I look at him? But it really is an, an inward thing of, of realizing that Jesus is not a far-off God. He's not somewhere off at a distance, and we're trying to find where to see him. He's inside of you. And so it's turning your affection and your awareness towards him that you're sensitive to his touch. I shared in the eight that, um, you know, that there's the, the woman who struggles with the issue of blood, and she goes and she touches Jesus. And it's interesting because there's a whole bunch of people all touching Jesus at the same time, but she touches him and he stops and he goes, who touched me? And the disciples say, like, what do you mean, Jesus? There's, a, there's lots of people around you. They're all touching you. And he goes, no, who touched me? I felt power leave me. And I was rocked by that this week, and there's a couple people talking about this right now, but it stirred my heart because I thought, wow, there's a lot of... Um, the familiarity of Jesus, where everybody's touching Jesus, but when you touch Him based on the knowledge of who He is and that everything that you need is in Him, even if you can only get to the hem of His garment, when you touch Him, you receive everything you need. And, and you move His heart, that Jesus is walking in the crowd and there's many people touching Him, but somebody touches Him in faith and it moves His heart, where He responds, who touched me? We get to do that. I don't know about you, but like when, when that revelation hits my heart, there's like a an excitement and a reverence and an awe to worship because I just go, I'm going to touch his heart. And, and he's going to respond to me. <laughs> like that should just, you know, if that becomes tame to us, we just need to go back, go back and align our hearts with what he's done because we didn't deserve that. There was no way for you to have that kind of intimacy with him, but he paid the highest price. Are you with me? That's beautiful, right? Isaiah 6. Bookmark it. We'll come there now. Um, the last couple of weeks, if you've been here, and, and you've, you know, I'm sure most of you have, uh, it's, been, it's been intense, it's been weighty, uh, and uh, it's been the Lord because I really felt like before we can step into any sort of expression, our perspective is, is vital. How we are seeing things, the perspective that we're viewing our lives, the perspective that we're viewing the church through, how we're seeing things right now is really important. And uh, so maybe the last couple of weeks you've been like, wow, he started the year off with like the second coming of Jesus. And I was like, well, if we're starting in Revelation, where's this going? Uh, you know, and, 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 you know, even more than that, you know, last week I felt um, just to preach on grace. And I hadn't planned that building up over the weeks. It was a quick change of plans because I felt that uh, in this COVID time, the culture that came with COVID came with a lot of legalistic stuff. And you go, what do you mean? Well, it came with a culture that wanted to dictate to you how you're going to live your life and how you're going to make your decisions. And if you didn't do it a certain way, you were suddenly shamed, cut off. Uh, are you with me? The, the culture of COVID is isolation, lockdown, shut down, shut up, don't talk, don't say anything, right? 
very controlling, very legalistic. Now, the thing is, so much of that has affected these areas in our lives, and then we don't realize it, but slowly that legalistic mindset can creep into our relationship with the Lord, can creep into how we do church, can creep into all of those things, and suddenly you feel like there's this strain of devotion to get to Jesus. And we go like, why is there suddenly the strain? Why is there the pressure? Why is there the, ah, I got to get to Jesus? And you can feel it in worship. We're all like, whoa, yeah, you know. And Jesus is like, yeah, you know, I'm right here. Hello. I've shared it. I shared it last week. We spoke about the grace of God. We spoke how he's made a way for us. Where there seemed to be no way, he made a way. And so, you know, when we're crying out for Jesus, he's on the other side of that conversation going, I'm right here. I love you. I've given everything. There's not a single thing that you could do that could hinder my love for you. I'm not withholding anything from you. I'm here. I want to give you everything that I am. That's Jesus. And so I felt like last week that was important for us to have a healthy perspective of the grace of God in order for us to go into what He's called us to. Why? Because we cannot walk in anything that we haven't received first. So last week I spoke about that we need to receive. It's funny, this, this thing about humanity without Jesus, that we, we actually think we can do something in our own strength. We actually think that trying equals success. <laughs> and then what happens is because that's an unhealthy mentality and it doesn't work, we just shift without Jesus to the opposite and we go, well, we'll just be passive and do nothing. And that's not Him. What He's saying is actually the most active and fruitful place you're going to be is in me. If you receive from me, you'll be the most effective, active, impactful person on the face of the earth. Why? Because it's Christ in you, the hope of glory. So that's a beautiful place to be. So yesterday, um, I've been on this journey with the Lord, and we're un unpacking slowly, so just stay with us. We're unpacking slowly um, vision and, and foundational things in the house for where we're going uh, this year and beyond. How many of you know that the vision of, uh, uh, and the mandate of Jesus and His church hasn't changed in 2,000 years? So it's not 2022, you know, and a whole new thing. It's not that. It's actually, wow, Lord, just refresh us and, and, and keep us aligned and postured in that place to stay obedient to what you've said. Uh, we're not trying to come up with something to impress anybody. We just want to be faithful to what the Lord said. Are you with me? So yesterday, I am uh, with the Lord processing, and I had all these questions and just things I was working through my heart around uh, you know, we, we lead and, and, and journey with this beautiful community, but we also have a lot of stuff going on with different leaders and churches and pastors. And so we're in communication with a lot of people. So there was just stuff on my mind, and I was thinking about the church. And so I had these questions. And uh, the Lord said to me, uh, I want you to, to work, work through the New Testament and study Jesus and his church. And just, just study the themes all the way through the New Testament. Now, this was Saturday morning, and I'm like, okay, you know, that's... <laughs> It would be great if you could just throw me a quick scripture just to sort this one out. But no, now you want me to actually study through the whole New Testament. So like any devoted, fired-up believer, I took a two-hour nap. And, uh, and after the two-hour nap, I, I got up and said, okay, Lord, I'm ready. And, and so I, I went to Jesus. I said, babe, I'm disappearing for a couple of hours. I'm going to go be with the Lord. And, and we just did this study, uh, myself and the Lord, through the New Testament. And um, there's so much, and I don't have time to un unpack all of it, but I want to just pull out a few things, and I'm going to do my best to try to link it to Isaiah 6, because I feel that's a word from the Lord today. Um, but I, I just started to ask this question. I'm like, okay, Jesus, John 19 says that you're, you're hanging on, this, on the cross, and you get speared or stabbed in the side, and blood and water come out of your side, the right side which is a picture of so many things. One of them is, is birth. That's what happens at birth, blood and water, right? This comes out of his side, and he says this word in Aramaic. He says, kalah. 
Now, we have interpreted it as it is finished, and that's, that's relatively accurate. But the reality is it's so much more than just it is finished. Because if we hear that, we can think the task is finished. But that's not what he was saying. Kala is actually an adjective used to describe the perfection of a bride on a wedding day. Right? So when you study this, you go, hold on a second. When Jesus is, is stabbed in his side, blood and water come out. He gives birth to the dream of God in fullness on the earth, which is now he's going to put together this beautiful bride. Right? And he's there and he says, Kala, perfect, finished work, perfect bride. And then I, I ask this question, I go, wow, Jesus, you are the one who birthed your bride. You are the one who uh, is coming back for your bride. You're building your bride. So I asked this question, how did you prepare the way for your church? And so this is where I started yesterday. I was just working through the Gospels and saying, okay, Jesus, when you were here on the earth, what did you do to prepare the way for what you were going to birth, right? And so we know that He saved us, He redeemed us, He transformed us, He commissioned us. We see these things. And I, uh, please don't, don't hear this as a teaching today. I just want to share with you because uh, it's difficult to teach. This is, there's a lot. Uh, so my heart is just to encourage you, maybe just to provoke you a little bit in, in a beautiful way to seek the Lord. Um, but some of the things that I saw Jesus seems to emphasize in the Gospels are things like knowing God and being known by God. That's like one of the core themes. The other one is to follow Him and obey Him to love one another and, and to walk in love, to uh, go into all the world, to preach the gospel, to, to make disciples, to demonstrate the gospel. He talks a lot about what it's going to look like. He, he, he prepares his disciples for what the flow of the Holy Spirit in your life is going to do, and they even begin to walk in that anointing, uh, and some of them even begin to see miracles and things happen. And then he talks about the, the coming end of the age. Jesus talks about this a lot, actually, if you study the gospels. He has a lot to, to say about the end. Um, and so I, I'm a little confused at, at why sometimes Christians have no idea what the heck we're even talking about, you know, when we, when we approach end times or all this kind of stuff. There's so much nonsense that's been taught around that, but actually scripturally Jesus is pretty clear, right? I think the, the biggest problem in the church is just we don't read our Bibles. But when we do read them, we go, actually, wow, Lord, you're actually quite clear, and it's not actually that complicated. Jesus doesn't expect you to know exactly how things are going to happen, but he does expect you to discern the times and the seasons, and that's all he expects of you. And so it's just to look at it and go, wow, okay, we're there. <laughs> Let's just keep beholding Jesus, keep doing, being obedient, doing what he called us to do. That's the key, right? He speaks a lot about that. Then he speaks so much about receiving the Holy Spirit. And this is interesting um, because I don't know if you're like me, then this would frustrate you, but I couldn't find any uh, organizational instructions from Jesus as to how he wanted his church to be run, Right? Now, I'm just being transparent. When I process with the Lord, I'm like, why? Because I'm like, Lord, it would be a whole lot easier if you just laid it out real clear. This is how it goes. This is what it's supposed to look like. This is what a Sunday looks like. Or this is what, whatever you want, just tell us and we'll do it, right? Sounds like the Israelites with the law. And so I'm asking the Lord this question. Uh, I said it in the 8th. I'm like, you know, sometimes you just got to be honest with the Lord and then he reveals to you your stupidity and you go, thank you, Jesus. Grace, I love you. Awesome. You're the best, Right? But, um, but I began to look at this and say, wow, Lord, you didn't seem to give organizational instruction to your disciples as to how you wanted this thing done. That's an interesting thing. But instead, he, he gives this instruction to his disciples that really blew my mind yesterday. He very clearly instructs them to do nothing until they've received the Holy Spirit. It's a big deal, that. 
It's like Jesus has taken them on a journey for three years, and they've seen God move. They've seen Jesus model a supernatural life. He's taught them many things. They know that they're a part of the beginnings of something that's going to change the world. These guys are like, oh my goodness, this is, this is huge. This is crazy. And then Jesus now, he's raised from the dead, and he's going to ascend. He's going to leave, and you're thinking, if I'm one of the disciples, I'm like, here we go. He's about to give us the blueprints. This is what we need to do. But he's about, and this is what he says, Wait. Interesting. <laughs> it's like, Lord, we've been on this crazy journey, and the momentum and everything's coming. We're built to this. You've been raised from the dead, and oh my goodness, Rome is freaking out. It's going to be crazy. What are we going to do? You're about to ascend. Hold on. What's going on? Oh, wait. Wait. I don't know about you. I'm not very good at waiting. I want everything now. I have ideas. I got vision. I want to see it happen now. When we pray for 24-7 church, I'm like, I, I got pages of things. We should do this. We should do this. We should do this. And the Lord's like, wait. And he says, wait until you receive the promise of the Father, the Holy Spirit. So I go, okay, Lord, this is interesting. This is the buildup of Jesus. I'm summarizing here, so just stick with me. This is the buildup of Jesus. In, in John uh, 13 to 17, we see that in his time in the upper room with his disciples, what he emphasizes is the Holy Spirit. You're going to receive the Holy, the Holy Spirit. He's the promise. This is what he's going to do. He's going to lead you into all truth. He's going to teach you all things. He's going to reveal me to you. He's going to reveal Jesus to us. He shares all of this stuff, right? And so I go, okay. In that time in the upper room, he emphasizes two things, the heart and the Holy Spirit. That's it. Everything that he talks around is around your heart God, your heart, do not be troubled, don't be afraid. He begins to speak into these things, and he begins to speak about what the Holy Spirit's going to do when he comes. And then you jump across to Acts, and you see Jesus, he actually leaves this instruction. Uh, he tells them to wait in Jerusalem until they receive uh, the Holy Spirit, who's going to give them power and ability to be witnesses. Yeah. Right? So now there's a little bit more, and you go, oh, whoa, okay, hold on. So we wait for the promise of the Father. When the, when the promise comes, when the Holy Spirit comes, He will actually enable us and give us the power that Jesus walked in in order to be true witnesses, both here locally and to the ends of the earth. Right? This is what Jesus leaves with His disciples. And so they go and they're, they're waiting in this room. And I love what Damien shared now because they didn't go and, and, and you know, take long naps over 10 days in the, in the room like, you know, when is He going to show up? <laughs> it wasn't that. It was like aligning their hearts to go, we don't want to miss this. We actually, we, we need this. Like, we don't even know what this is supposed to look like. So if we don't get the Holy Spirit, there's no point. So they're postured in this place of like, Lord, we need you, and we, we need to be ready to receive you. So their posture was vital. Suddenly, Acts chapter 2, go and read it. Holy Spirit comes, and He moves in power, and the church, the New Testament church, is birthed in a rushing wind. Right? I mean, this is crazy. Like, I is this okay? I'm not going to teach or like preach at you. I'm just going to share, and you can just come into that space with me. Is that all right? You can just smile at me. It's good. And so suddenly you go, oh my goodness, out of nowhere, Holy Spirit comes, and whoa, there's this wind, and it's like, whoa, fire, and tongues of fire, and whatever that looked like. Sometimes I just use my imagination. Fire on people. They begin to speak in every type of language and tongue. So much so that this is a group of Galileans, and the next thing, people from every nation that have come to Jerusalem to worship are hearing the gospel. First of all, they come running to the sound, which means it was loud enough for the city to hear it. Okay, They all come running, thousands of people, and they begin to hear these, this small group of roughly 120 Galileans speaking in every language represented there, preaching the gospel. 
They actually says in Acts 2, they, they hear the wonders, the mysteries of God in their own language. And they're going, are these guys not Galileans? How, am I, how are they speaking my language? This is crazy, right? So suddenly, straight away, the first thing we're seeing is the church is birthed supernaturally. Because there is no way that man can engineer that, organize that, orchestrate that. That's just like, I, nobody can do anything there. That's just God. And Peter, this is what's so beautiful. Already, right from the beginning, we see the model. Peter gets up to steward what Holy Spirit's already doing. He doesn't get up to manufacture something. He doesn't get up to even set the direction. He's following the Spirit of Jesus. So from the beginning, we see Holy Spirit is going to lead the church through yielded sons and daughters, yielded men and women who are carrying the assignments for what the Lord's called them to do right now. Are you with me? So right now, Peter is standing up and he goes, okay, in, this, in Acts 2, and he begins to preach. Guys, this is what's actually happening. He, just, he begins to steward what Holy Spirit's doing, and he preaches the gospel. And 3,000 people get saved in a day. That's how the church is birthed. So I, I read this, and I go, okay, wow, Lord, the New Testament church is birthed in the Holy Spirit, by the Holy Spirit. And for the last 2,000 years, the journey of the church has been staying in the Holy Spirit. And this is why we see the church has had these seasons where when we try to manufacture things on our own and we go after systems and programs and institutionalism and all these things, suddenly we come out of that and we don't see the flow of power and, and, and presence. But then you see seasons where the church comes back in and when the Holy Spirit's leading the church, suddenly His glory comes. And you go, you know, wow, I'm thinking of all these, these movements and revivals that we've seen. You go, well, how do they start? They always start with a man or a woman of God that's yielded. Always. I promise you, I, I love these things. I study uh, past revivals. There is not a single move of God on the earth that can be separated from a yielded man or woman who just said yes. Not one. God uses men and women to spark something, and then he goes way beyond that. People talk about the Welsh revival, and they talk about Evan Roberts, and I love him. He's an absolute hero. But the reality is he was just a spark. When you study it, there was literally hundreds of pastors for years that had been contending for revival. And Evan Roberts hardly preached out of his own county, and yet the revival hit the whole nation. So what was happening in the churches where he wasn't there? It's Jesus. But this is what's so beautiful is that when we see these moves, it's the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit who's leading the church. So we see this. The book of Acts reveals how the Holy Spirit leads the church through obedient men and women. Uh, and it's completely supernatural. I need you to catch that. An interesting thing is that in the, in the New Testament, the earliest signs of leadership qualities, what I find when I study it, and there's a few, but the main two that pop out is that the leaders in the early church simply operated in obedience and boldness. It's interesting. Like those are the main leadership qualities that pop out at you. These leaders are just obedient, and they step out in boldness to do what God's called them to do, and the Holy Spirit does the rest. It's interesting that they get to this place in Jerusalem where revival's breaking out, and if you study Acts 2 and Acts 4, you'll see the, the descriptions of that community. They devote themselves to the gospel. They devote themselves to the teaching from the apostles. They devote themselves to prayer, to breaking bread. They're in each other's homes. They're gathering outside the temple. They, this, is, this is a movement of the Spirit of God that's taking over a city, and it's causing uh, earthly institutions to freak out. I'm just, this is the church, right? I'm, I'm talking about you. Are you with me? So this encourages me. I go, holy moly, Lord, this is, this is wild. So we see this happening, and suddenly they get to this point, and they say it's about seven to ten years of, of where this was happening in Jerusalem before persecution hit and they began to scatter. But they get to this point where the church is growing so big, and there's all these needs and practical things that are happening in the church, and so there's a complaint that some people aren't getting some food. And so the, the apostles and the elders, they actually go, hold on, we have to devote ourselves to the preaching of the word and to pray. We need to appoint another group of people that are going to take care of these things. 
Now, if you read that in an earthly context, you go like, well, who are these oaks? I mean, they should also do some stuff, you know? Right? Oh, come on. Most of the Western church would respond like that. You're going to pray and preach, but, but these dudes have to go actually feed people. Right? Why? Why is it important? How does the church stay supernatural if it's not centered around hearing His voice? I think the reason why sometimes we go into the, the manufacture thing of, of institutionalism and trying to build something ourselves is because there's a pressure on leaders to perform rather than obey. I have been there. <laughs> it sucks. <laughs> Even in your own life, if you're in a, under pressure to perform rather than obey, that's a tough place to be. It's exhausting. You have a holiday and six weeks later, you're flipping broken. You're just like, did I just say flip in my sermon? Sorry. Um, <laughs> But you are, you're just like, you're tired. You're just going, man, I've, I've, it's only been six weeks and I need another holiday. You're probably performing. It's tiring, right? I've been there. So, so it's clear the elders actually go, no, actually we have to devote ourselves to prayer and the preaching of the word. Why? Because we're a supernatural people. And if we're not hearing God, and the thing is you go, oh, but why does it have to be you? Because God gives assignments. He actually appoints people as shepherds to govern the movement of the Holy Spirit, to govern the church on, on the earth. And the reality is it's not of any different value to any other assignment. It's just a role. It's funny how we exalt things. Like that's, that's the goal of our Christianity is actually, if I'm not a pastor, am I even anointed? But then you see Stephen. Here's Stephen. And, and they, they say, we need, to, we need to appoint some guys uh, and girls uh, who, who are going to... I'm just throwing that in there. That's another preach. It's another preach. I'll unpack that. But I'm going to appoint some people to, to, to do the task, to do the, the, the practical outworking of, of the heart of the church, which is to take care of people. And here's the requirement. So let's look for people who are full of the Holy Spirit, full of wisdom, and full of faith. Interesting. It's like, what's the requirements to be on the serve team? <laughs> and so here's this guy, Stephen, right, who's been appointed to facilitate the outworking of what's happening in the church, and yet he's the dude who starts to operate in power like they haven't seen yet. Suddenly he begins to operate in signs and wonders that begin to explode. He's the, he's the threat, the guy who's doing the food distribution. That's the, most, that's the most wild, anointed, crazy food distribution you want to be a part of, right? You go there to get food, and people are literally getting out of wheelchairs, left, right, and center. People are getting healed and delivered and set free. And yet, he's not, he's not actually the elder or the pastor or the leader. or the, He's just the food distribution guy. Do you see how God doesn't, this is not this like, it's just assignments and roles, but the key is what? Holy Spirit. If you're filled with the Holy Spirit, everything that you do, he'll be revealed in that. So you see him do this, and suddenly he becomes so intense that they kill him first. And they kill him brutally. And so it causes this persecution and they scatter. And we see, I want to encourage you, the church ran in fear. Just, uh, that sets me free. I'm like, they were afraid. Oh, so it's okay. God can use your, your weakness and, and, and lead you and, and turn it around and actually teach you obedience in the midst of your weakness. Because they ran. They were afraid. They ran away. We've had some situations in the Middle East. I was afraid, genuinely. And yet the Lord uses those moments and, and shifts things and turns things. So he takes, if you, if, oh man, I'm, I'm going so quickly through this, but suddenly you get to actually live in Antioch. And there's just these no-name people scattered, right? They ran in fear. They ran so, this is how scared they were. They ran from Jerusalem to Antioch. It's a couple of months, at least weeks. That's far. That's fear. 
But they end up in Antioch, and suddenly something stirs in their heart, and they remember the mandate. They remember what we're here for. And so some people, actually 11, some people, we don't know their names, no-name people, just some of them, get the boldness to obey. And suddenly they obey the Lord and, and they, they share the gospel, not just with the Jews, but the Greeks, also the Gentiles. And it says the hand of the Lord was upon them, His presence and power. And multitudes came to Jesus. Suddenly, once again, Holy Spirit just whacked the city. Just because some frail, weak people said yes. That's grace, right? It's like we just ran miles and miles and miles. We got here and then we were reminded, oh yeah, we're supposed to preach the gospel. Okay, Lord, we're going to preach, the, we're going to risk, we're going to step up, we're going to be obedient, we're going to preach the gospel, and Holy Spirit goes, thank you. And he hits the city, and multitudes come and get saved. So much so, the news gets back to Jerusalem, they send Barnabas, you've heard me preach this before, Barnabas gets there, and what does he recognize? Grace. You see it in Acts 2, you see it in Acts 4, you see it in Acts 11. It's a description of what it looks like when the Holy Spirit is leading the church. Grace. He recognizes great grace upon the community. The marks of revival, it's when grace hits your heart. <laughs> that excites me. And so, so we see this, and this is what's beautiful. Barnabas gets there. Now, can you imagine? Multitudes are getting saved, coming in. God's hit the city. It's like what he did in Jerusalem years ago. He's just done in Antioch. Something's happening. God's on the move. Let's go fetch Paul. See, that doesn't make sense from an earthly intellectual leadership perspective. Like, most leaders today would arrive and go, we need to sort this out and bring some clarity to a few things, and a little bit of, you know, structure. I love structure. I'm just being honest. I love structure. And it's good. It's godly. If it's after Holy Spirit, not before, right? So he comes and he goes, oh, wow, Holy Spirit's moving. You know what? What we need, we actually need that guy, Paul. So I'm going to leave for a couple months. I'm going to leave the move, the revival, right? I'm going to go fetch Paul, and I'm going to bring him back. He trusts the Holy Spirit. He trusts that the Holy Spirit's leading his church. <laughs> In other words, Barnabas got there and went, I didn't start this. It's not my job to make sure this continues. This is Holy Spirit. My job is to do what? Steward. So what does he want me to do? He wants me to go and fetch Paul. That means I'm not even going to be here, but that's what he wants, so that's what I'm going to do. So he goes and fetches Paul, and he comes back, and guess what they do? They actually form a leadership team. Oh, sorry, guys. Just when you thought it was going to be, you know, get away with whatever, do what I want. No, actually, they formed a leadership team. But how did they form it? They formed it in obedience to the Holy Spirit, not to manufacture something. I said it like this in the 8th. If you think about rivers, the way that rivers naturally operate, the water creates riverbanks. We've seen what man does. Man comes and builds riverbanks to control the rivers, and it's fine as long as the river stays within a certain amount. The moment that there's abundance and release, we don't handle it anymore, and suddenly there's floods, and then a new river starts. <laughs> and we're like, oh, you know, I've got to go block that one up again and redirect it. This is, what, this is what we do. Man does this, right? So now we think we can do that with the Holy Spirit. So now what we want to do is we want to set the banks before the waters even come. And then we want to go this way, Holy Spirit. Right? Because structure... And Holy Spirit's going, no, no, I'm going to create structure. I'm the one who appoints. I'm the one who brings leadership. I'm the one who, who assigns and gives roles and instruction to the church on who needs to do what. I'm the one who leads the body, right? So suddenly it's like, wow, our role is to make sure we're where the water is. <laughs> Are you with me? It's like, you know, you can go, 2022, what's the plan, guys? What's the plan for 24-7? What's it going to look like? And I'm like... We're going to find the water, and we're going to stay in the flow. 
Are you with me? So we see this happen in Antioch. And here's the, here's the interesting thing, just some, some qualities and some, some expressions of the church. It says that they were equipped and they were taught. So we know that there's meant to be equipping and teaching in the church, right? How else would we know what God's given us to walk in if we're not equipped and taught? And how does he do it? He uses shepherds, overseers, giftings, these kinds of things to communicate. Again, no hierarchy, different roles and assignments. They gain reputation as being like Christ and following Him. They get called Christians because they're, just, they're living like Jesus. The, the equipping and the training is actually producing something in their lives. This is in the space of a year, just so you understand. They worship, they pray, and they fast. Real simple. It's like, why do we do these things as a church? And what, what, what set, set it up this way? And why is it the same thing? It's here that we worship, we pray, and we fast. Why? Because it's holy. It's beautiful. It's where Jesus moves. Amen. So we see Holy Spirit speaks and He leads. Holy Spirit commissions. If you see in Acts 13, it's interesting that we see that this group of leaders and the community actually devote themselves to prayer and fasting. They begin to minister to the Lord. You'll see it in, in uh, Acts chapter 13, 1, 2, 3. 1, 2, and 3, yeah. And, uh, and we see this leadership team, and suddenly it says that in that environment of, of prayer and fasting and worship, the Holy Spirit speaks to them. He's leading the church, and he begins to communicate the assignment to Barnabas and to Paul. And then they continue ministering to the Lord, and then it says that the Holy Spirit sent them. Being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went. That's what it says. So it's like, wow, he, he, he builds the church, he equips the church, he directs the church, he speaks to the church, he leads the church, he commissions the church, and he sends people. This is the Holy Spirit. I haven't even got to anything that we're doing yet. It's interesting, if you look at Antioch, the one thing that they do is partner with what the Holy Spirit's doing. Holy Spirit said, do this. Okay, how do we do that well with the Holy Spirit? Let's commission and send them. Isn't that beautiful? We bring structure to the flow of the Holy Spirit. He begins to minister through us to say, here's how I want you to steward this. Are you with me? I'm going somewhere. Just stay with me. So we see that Antioch partners with the Holy Spirit, and they multi multiply prophetically and apostolically. This is vital. The, the apostolic and the prophetic are foundations for the church. And you go, what about the other gifts? Absolutely, it's all there. But Scripture shows us the, the apostolic and the prophetic are the foundations of how he's building his church. Why? Apostolic, we're bringing the culture of the kingdom of heaven to the earth. The church, when Jesus speaks in Matthew 16, and he says, uh, on this rock, the revelation of who he is, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. The word church there is ecclesia. It's a governmental word just so you know. So his expectation of his church is governmental. So why do we worship and enthrone Jesus? Why do we want to do hours and hours of worship and prayer? Because it's a governmental act of enthroning Jesus in the city. It has more power. You don't, this is, we don't understand this yet. We haven't tapped into this, but we will soon. It has more power than earthly governments. And that's not a, a thing of like, oh, you know, throw our weights around. It's not that. It's realizing that in the spirit, when we begin to release governmental authority, it begins to shift and change things on the earth. And so for too long, the church is whining about things on the earth when they're not actually exalting Jesus and shifting things in the atmosphere. And then the one or two crazy people who do it, we call them wacky prophets, you know, lunatics, talking about all these funny things. And don't get me wrong, there's been misrepresentations, but the, the Lord is actually mobilizing the church to understand the authority. To go like, when you worship, just the simplicity of enthroning Jesus, do you understand what you're doing? Whether there's 500 people in the room or one, that's why we're moving towards an expression of 24-7, 365 prayer and worship, nonstop till Jesus comes. It's part of our vision. 
Why? Because can you imagine what that does in a city? I don't care if it's one or if it's 500, he's being exalted all the time. So we see from this, they commissioned Barnabas and Saul. There's many church plants. It multiplies, right? And Acts emphasizes something so beautiful. <laughs> and again, I've got to be careful. It emphasizes the unreached. Acts begins to talk about how Paul and these teams of people begin to move into regions where the gospel has not been preached. And they're planting churches preaching the gospel. It's in the Bible. It's not even my thing. It's there. I, I know I love it, but the reality is it's just there. It's like, I love it because it's there. So, so the, the reality is, okay, we have a mandate as the church to reach the unreached, regions that have not been touched with the gospel, to plant churches. It's why we're going to raise healthy leaders in this house, healthy shepherds that are going to come through over the next couple of years that we'll begin to plant and establish moves of God, spiritual families, churches, into not just uh, cities where there's tons of churches, but into regions where there is nothing. Are you with me? So we see it in Acts, and it's funny because Paul has this deep dependence on the Holy Spirit because now he's moving in this region, planting churches, establishing the gospel in these cities, and he doesn't end up staying in one church very long. And what I mean by that is, like, the longest is about three years. And then he moves to the next place and to the next place, and he's, he's walking in his assignment. This is not for everyone. This is his assignment, but it's the church took responsibility to support him, to send him, to champion the assignment, to reach the unreached. In other words, it might not be your assignment, but it is your responsibility. You with me? And so they do this, and, and Paul supported, and he goes and, and does all this stuff. But the reality is there's certain places where I go, wow, the trust that he had in the Holy Spirit. Good example, the church in Thessalonica. Three weeks he was there, and then he had to leave. He had three weeks. And if you read his letters, I find the 1 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians, it blows me away that in his Gospel 101 is the second coming of Jesus. It's like discipleship, Jesus coming back. You know, we go like, no, dude, that's after like 10 years of following the Lord. Then you can do that course on Revelation that freaks you out. That's how this thing, no, it doesn't work like that. It's actually real simple. Reality is, here's the, here's the thing. Jesus died for you. He loves you. You're saved. You're filled with the Holy Spirit. Walk in Him. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Manifest Christ, and also He's coming back. So just live for that. Right? So He puts that into like three weeks, you know, and two letters. And I go, how? I, I just, I, maybe I'm a control freak, but I would panic if I had to leave after three weeks. I've just started this church, and I've appointed leaders after three weeks. That freaks me out. And now it's like, okay, Holy Spirit, it's your church. You've got to be obedient. Like that would be a no-no in terms of earthly leadership. It would be like, that's just terrible. No, actually, that was Holy Spirit. So it's interesting. Paul has this dependence. We also see that the Holy Spirit leads him where he goes to places and the Holy Spirit speaks to him and says, Paul, I want to just let you know that imprisonment and beatings await you in this city. Holy Spirit, the comforter. What is he saying? He's, Holy Spirit's going, I'm not going to take you away from persecution. I'm going to lead you through it. Because in the midst of that, you're going to manifest Jesus, and people are going to come to know who I am. Because it's Christ in you, the hope of glory. This is how Jesus lived his life. Okay, I'll move on to that one. Persecution. The church thrives in persecution. How is that possible? Supernatural. That's why the church has to be Supernatural. I promise you, we, we journey this as leaders with 24-7 with this whole COVID thing. We, had, we haven't even got to persecution. It was just inconvenience, right? We, did, we didn't get, nobody got stoned or like beaten or, you know, right? Unless I missed something. So it's just inconvenience. 
But the reality is, I go, did we thrive? Did the church thrive? So, good question. I don't want to answer it. That's up to the Lord. But it's a good question. You go, okay, if a, the supernatural church will thrive when there's persecution. They will. It's supernatural. So we see that. We also see um, how Holy Spirit prepares Paul for what's ahead. Uh, it's interesting that Paul always ministers and travels in a team. Just something to be aware of. doesn't seem to be anywhere that I can justify individualism and your little individual ministry doing your thing. It's just not there. Paul's always accountable. There's always people that he's holding. There's always team. There's always community. There's always family, always church. This is how regions are reached. It's the church. Why am I sharing this today? I just want to give us a healthy perspective of actually why we do what we do and where we're going. So here's an example. One of the main expressions of the church is taking responsibility to reach the unreached. It's just clear as day in the Word. It's the overflow of worship and prayer and intercession and fasting and teaching and training, right? Interesting. So we see that. I want to just make this statement. The church that is led by the Holy Spirit through yielded men and women will produce translocal, meaning all the nations, apostolic and prophetic growth. The church that's led by the Holy Spirit will produce apostolic and prophetic growth into the nations. It will happen. It's His heart. It's His desire. But also, it will also produce, Holy Spirit will also produce in the church a local apostolic and prophetic transformation, meaning right here in the city. So we see there's two, there's two expressions of the church. One, reach the unreached. Two, transform the city. Right? So then you go, okay, how does that happen? So this, I'm taking you through like, four hours yesterday of studying this. The epistles, you go and read, study the letters and you go, wow, suddenly Acts shows us what the storyline of how the church operated, which gives us insight into the responsibility that we carry. And the letters that are written, whether it's Paul, Peter, John, Jude, James, uh, you know, those that wrote these letters, we see, hold on a second, those letters are written about Christ in you, how Jesus transforms your life, but also how he's going to change the world around you. How, how does Jesus in you affect your marriage and your family? And what does it look like to be the church? And how are we to act together as the church. And so you see there's this beautiful expression of there's going to be this apostolic prophetic movement across the nations, but there's also going to be Christ in you formed that's going to transform your life and change the world that you live in. This is how cities are transformed. So we saw regions transformed, cities transformed. How is Joburg transformed? Through you. What is, why, you know, people go, where's the social justice and social transformation programs? I'm looking at them. Are you with me? It's funny. It's like I need a program to do something. Oh, so that means it's not naturally in you yet. You know, sometimes people ask this question, and I'm going to get practical, so this will make sense now, but how do I get involved in table groups? Right? That's something that we're doing at the moment, table groups, just connecting. This is how you get involved. Get to your table and invite somebody. Right? No, but hold on. How do I like get plugged into this thing? You take some bread and some peanut butter and you put it together and you phone your chum and you say, let's have peanut butter sandwiches together. And when you're sitting at the table, you say, man, isn't Jesus awesome? Let's break bread together. Let's encourage one another. Hey, what can I pray for? What's happening in your life? How can I encourage you? You just got plugged in. 
Now, yes, we are moving towards, uh, you know, following Holy Spirit, and He's showing us what He wants these smaller group things to look like, and we're going on that journey. But just because you don't have the system or the whatever you think it is in place doesn't change who we are in Jesus. And it's got to flow from a place of authenticity, not something we manufacture. I have zero desire to manufacture small groups in 24-7 church. I want to see community happening in people's homes. Why? Because Holy Spirit's leading us. He's cultivating and shaping something. You know, Jess and I sometimes go a couple weeks and we realize we haven't had a night off in three weeks. And you're like, we didn't even realize it because it's like, it's a joy. And then you go, okay, it's probably good to rest, you know, take some nights off and some full rest. But I love it because you go, when you get into that momentum and it's like, you just love the family of God. And every time, you, you know, on the way there, you might be exhausted driving from work, and you're like, whoo, I don't know how I'm going to do this. But coming back from dinner with them, you're like fired up about Jesus, excited about going to work tomorrow, right? That's how you get plugged in. So this is why you'll see in 24-7... As we begin to unpack things, you're going to hear aspects of, of the regional stuff, the big stuff that we want to take responsibility for, which is like, okay, Lord, how do we reach 3.4 billion people who haven't heard your name? Right? See, I've studied this thing. We can do it. I say we, I mean the church globally, not 60 of us. But, I mean, maybe, hey. But, but we can. It's possible. We're the first, the millennials are the first generation in history that statistically know exactly where everybody is that hasn't heard the gospel. We know exactly how to get there and how much it'll cost. First generation in history. In other words, it's there. It's waiting for us. Jesus is going like the harvest is ready. And he's just looking for people to go, yes. Right? So there's, you're going to hear that in 24-7, but you're also going to hear this. And you'll probably hear this most of the time. Why? Because we, God's put us in Johannesburg to see change and transformation in your life because of Jesus, in your marriage, in your families, in your businesses, in your sphere of influence, and in the city. Christ in you, the hope of glory. We see that Paul and the, and the writers, they teach this in the epistles. They're going, if you, if you understand Jesus in you, if you understand what that means, if you understand when Jesus is revealed through your life, what it does on the earth, it brings the kingdom. You become a walking encounter with God. You literally are walking around and you're the touching point between heaven and earth. All right? That gets... And so we, we see this, and, and this is important, because he also, if you read the epistles, he, he's so clear on how we're to treat one another, how we love one another, what it looks like to be the family of God, how we host His presence well, where your gifting fits into the body and making sure that it's not exalted above what it should be. All of this kind of stuff. Are you with me? He talks about this stuff. It's beautiful. I don't know. How, yesterday I'm reading the Bible. I'm like, Lord, you're awesome. I love this. You're, here's the instructions. Holy Spirit. He's like, he's like, don't do anything until you receive the Holy Spirit. When you receive Him, follow Him. Then we see the book of Revelation and it emphasizes the revealing of Jesus, the end of the age, the bride of Christ, and eternity with God. And so now we, we read Revelation, and it's, it should get you seriously fired up. Not afraid, fired up. Because you, you have to see that that book was not written for you to understand times and events. It was written for you to see Jesus. Right? And, and this is the beautiful thing. He's saying the key to being prepared for His return is making sure you're looking at Him. 
The key to being ready is making sure that everything you do is unto Him, unto His glory, seeing Him, beholding Him, receiving Him, preparing one another by sharpening one another, equipping each other, encouraging one another. This is why we get together. Are you with me? You see, because if you understand this and you have this healthy perspective of the local church, then suddenly... It's not so much about what's the plan and how are we going to do this and where's the systems and the programs and the structures. Now it's about I cannot not be a part of what God's doing. I just need to be there. I need to be, we need to be together. We need to be saying yes. We need to be looking for the flow of the Holy Spirit. And as we seek Him together, we're going to begin to walk in what He has for us. Why? Because we're going after obedience, not performance. So we, you know, as, a, as a leadership team, we've sought the Lord and we feel the Lord leading us in things. And it's so difficult for me, I'm being honest, because I go, let's do all of it now. Let's just launch all of these things and get them going and get people plugged in or whatever. And, and you know, it's funny. I had a, my parents are beautiful. They lead us so well. They were like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Take it easy. <laughs> and, and just began to say, look, let's, let's, put this, let's follow the Holy Spirit. What is He saying right now? Let's do that. And it's so good. It's so healthy. Why? Wait. Wait. When is He moving? Move with Him. What is He saying? What does it look like? So what's the invitation? I'm saying... Over these next couple of months, there's some things that the Lord is going to unfold in this house because we've been in a time, and maybe you're new and you've just joined in the last couple of months, so I want, to, I want to say this. We're in a time where God is reestablishing and building foundations in the house, and it's not to say that the old things were wrong. It's just because there's something that He's about to pour out in the church, and it's important that we're ready to carry it. You know, people go like, well, if, if there's a new wineskin, was the old wineskin wrong? I'm like, wrong question. The right question is, where's the wine? What do I need to do to carry the wine? It's not about whether, oh, but I like the old wineskin better. This new one is it's uncomfortable. Well, the reality is go back to the old wineskin, but you're not getting new wine. Are you with me? So the question is not, well, you know, what's the wineskin? The question is, where's the wine? What do I need to be? How, how, how is he posturing my heart to, to be able to receive him? So 24-7 in this place. And so just to encourage you, these are things that it's good for the community to know. We are re-establishing and rebuilding a leadership team in this house where we've all actually gone, okay, Lord, teach us. What do you want this to look like? How do we step into a biblical and godly and Holy Spirit-led uh, uh, wineskin or, 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 or uh, structure that will steward what you're doing, not try to manufacture something? Are you with me? So we've slowed down on those things. Okay, let's build right. Let's let Holy Spirit lead us. We want to have these small group times, but Holy Spirit lead us. You know, we, uh, we're launching a house of prayer in March. Uh, you know, our, like I said, one of our main expressions is to eventually have 24-7, 365, all the time, nonstop prayer and worship till Jesus comes. We're, we're moving in that direction. And I was like, you know, just put the list out, sign everybody up, you know, each get an hour, and let's just hoy, you know, right now, let's do it. And the Lord's like, wait, let me teach, let me train, let me prepare. Why? Because this is so holy, so valuable that we want to carry this well. So there's things like that coming. And I want to encourage you, it can be sometimes like, when is it just going to happen? You know, I just want to see it happen. That's me, every day. But it's like the Holy Spirit saying, walk with me. Follow me, listen to me. We're going to launch a school, it's the last six months of this year. And it's a school to train and equip missionaries, sent ones. And you go, I don't believe in missionary. Well, change the word, call it whatever you want to call it. Just as long as we send people, I'm happy. Send, we want to send laborers, send ministers who can go in and begin to preach the gospel, serve local churches in unreached nations, in the continent of Africa, Cape to Cairo, Africa will be saved. It's a prophetic word. It's a promise from the Lord. It will happen. 
So we want to co-labor and be a part of that. So we already, God's establishing relationship connection with so many people and movements all across the earth, and we want to partner with them. So we're going to train and equip and teach. I promise you, I haven't even got to advertising that thing yet, but it'll change your life. Six months. I'm serious. And people go like, oh, you know, sure. I go like, cool, man. You go, God will, God will speak to your heart because I'm telling you, you should come. It's going to be good. Anyway. God will speak to you about those things. But these are the things that we're stepping into. We, we, want to, we want to equip men in the church to be men. Right? Thank you. <laughs> Can you come every time? I just this. I love it. We want to equip men to be men. We want to equip women to rise up and preach the gospel and walk in the divine authority that God's given them. And I, like I said, I will, we'll teach on that eventually. But here's the thing. Some of the most effective, most incredible, powerful leaders in the church on the face of the earth right now are women leading massive movements of churches in places like Iran. So it's like, okay, how do we equip women to rise up and be who God's called them to be? Not all of them are going to be called to be uh, pulpit preachers, but I'll tell you what, those stay-at-home moms are fiery. Right? And we're going to change the title because it's not stay-at-home mom. It's discipling children, the next generation, bringing people through, commissioning and sending their children into what God's called them to. Suddenly it's like we're not measuring these things. We're being obedient to the assignment of the Lord and we're walking in the Holy Spirit. We're walking in power. Are you with me? So we have a heart to see that. Our kids, we want to see our kids discipled to be following Jesus, operating in the Holy Spirit. And you go, well, when's it going to happen? Well, it takes some time actually. Because we've got to follow the Holy Spirit. Otherwise, we can step out of His timing and His tempo, do it in our own strength, and it won't produce the fruit that we desire. So we follow Him. But these are the things that are in our hearts. So how do we as a church posture ourselves to say yes to the vision of Jesus in the church? It means being together. It means doing life together, seeking Jesus together, and, and simply making sure that our lives are postured to say yes. So you go, why are you sharing it like this? Because this is where I'm at. This is where we're at, and together we can come into that space and say, okay, we want to follow you, Jesus. We want to follow you well. What 24-7 does for the next 5, 10, 15, 20, 25, maybe 50 years, we want it to count. We want it to matter. Are you with me? And not to the, to, in the eyes of men, to the Lord. That's the tension. Lord, does this matter to you? It's easy to do things that matter to us, but does it matter to you? That's our heart. Does this please you? And so it's a beautiful thing when you understand things this way and you see the church through this lens. It's a beautiful thing to be in submission. There's that word. Right? Being in submission to leaders or shepherds that God has put in your life. I always say this, I'm like, if you don't trust that your leaders hear God or the shepherds that you've come under, if you don't trust that they hear God, you shouldn't be in that church. <laughs> Are you with me? Like, if you don't, if that confidence is not that, you, that they're hearing God. I'm like, nobody forced you to be there. But you do need to plug in somewhere. You do need to put your roots down. Why? That's the only way that you can walk in the assignment that God has for you. When you try to walk in the assignment that God has for you outside of community, you crumble every time guaranteed. I've seen it. I've seen it in my own life. I've seen it in others. But when you're in the body, 
in submission to one another, in submission to shepherds, in submission to the chief shepherd, Jesus, in his movement of what he's doing, what he's building, suddenly it's healthy and it's beautiful. You begin to see life and you begin to thrive. You begin to step into things. I think when we're in that healthy place, insecurity doesn't have a place to land anymore. So much of what's happening in the church is because we're insecure, the leaders are insecure, we're intimidating each other, and now we just can't run together. Stop it. Lay it down, seek the Holy Spirit, and let's go after what He's saying. You with me? But it's vital that we submit. Are you with me? You know, it's vital that shepherds and leaders submit. One of the biggest things for me has been, okay, Lord, who am I submitted to? I'm obviously Jesus, but I'm saying, okay, as, as a leadership team, who are the people speaking into our lives, holding us accountable, who are outside of our bubble, right? That's good. So if everybody's in submission, we're connected to the head. It's only when we go rogue, that's when we disconnect ourselves. You with me? Why am I saying that? Why is it important? Because this is a time to get tight, come together, click in, lock in, let the body become one body. Let's begin to move with the Holy Spirit. Let's let Him lead us. Because the reality is, like Mama Krista said, we're in an Isaiah 6 moment. What does that mean? It means the glory of the Lord is coming upon the church like we've never seen before. What we are beholding is going to go from glory to glory in our lives, upon our lives, what we see. God's actually, He's equipping us in glory. And He's asking the question, whom shall I send? Who will go? Might be go to work, might be go to the nations, but there's a going. And so the reality is that there has to be a beholding. Why? Because what happens in the beholding is you realize your need for Him and you can receive Him. Where your, your, your lips are touched with the burning coal. What's the burning coal? Well, it actually speaks about atonement for sin. That actually you've been purified, cleansed. Not only that, you've now been anointed with fire. And it's fire from the altar, from the throne room. Now what you're carrying, what you're releasing, what you're speaking, it's glory. How do we become a bride for His glory? It starts with what we're beholding. Are you with me? So I'm sharing this today to, to really just um, encourage you, stir you, maybe settle you in something where you go like, okay, Lord, you know, maybe you've just joined 24-7, you've been here, uh, you know, a couple weeks, maybe a couple months, you're like, okay, Lord, what is happening? How does, what's the plan? What does this look like? And I'm saying God is at work. He's unfolding things. Our responsibility is to be one together, one with Him, obedient to Him, stay with the flow of the Holy Spirit, and watch how He begins to create those riverbanks. We want to steward what He's doing well. I would rather be a, a little bit more cautious and careful to jump into something but make sure that it's Him than just go guns blazing, run into stuff and realize we completely missed the whole thing and we've got to go back. Are you with me? This is a vital, beautiful, important time for 24-7 church. It's holy. And I said this in the 8th. I want to encourage you with this and then I'm done. Maybe I'll read a quick blessing over you. But, um, you know, this here is one expression of who we are as a house. This is where we come together, we minister to the Lord, and we get equipped in the Word. But tomorrow morning when you're driving to work in your car, 24-7 is going to work. <clears throat> the church is going to work. It's holy. And you go, well, how can that be holy? Because you're holy. And when you're sitting in that boardroom meeting, or you're on site, or whatever it is that you're doing, it's holy. It's beautiful. 
It's the kingdom. It's the church. It's the body operating, active in the assignments that God's given you. Are you with me? If you've got your Bibles, quickly, quickly turn to Ephesians. <clears throat> I just want to bless you and pray this over you, and then we are done. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 16. And you can read this with me, or if you want to, you can close your eyes, just receive it. I, I'm going to read it over you, just pray this over you as well. May he grant you out of the riches of his glory to be strengthened and spiritually energized with power through his spirit in your inner self, indwelling your innermost being and personality, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through your faith. And may you, having been deeply rooted and securely grounded in love, be fully capable of comprehending with all the saints, God's people, the width and the length and the height and the depth of his love, fully experiencing that amazing endless love. And that you may come to know practically through personal experience the love of Christ, which far surpasses mere knowledge without experience. That you may be filled up throughout your being to all the fullness of God, so that you may have the richest experience of God's presence in your lives, completely filled and flooded with God Himself. Now to Him who is able to carry out His purpose and to do super abundantly more than all that we dare ask or think, in other words, infinitely beyond our greatest prayers, hopes, or dreams, according to His power that is at work within us, to Him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Quickly go to Ephesians 1:18, And I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, flooded with light by the Holy Spirit, so that you will know and cherish the hope to which He has called you, the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints, and so that you'll begin to know what the immeasurable and unlimited and surpassing greatness of His active power is in us who believe. These are in accordance with the working of His mighty strength, which He produced in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at His own right hand in the heavenly places. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and far above every name that is named, above every title that can be conferred, not only in this age and this world, but also in the one to come. Listen to this. And he put all things in every realm in subjection under Christ's feet and appointed him as head over all things in the... You still with me? Is everyone sleeping? Were you there? Cool. In the church, which is his body, the fullness of him, who fills all and completes all things in all believers. This is wild. He puts everything in subjection to Christ, puts it under his feet, and then says you're his body. I don't know if you caught that. That's another type of authority. But I want to release those scriptures and say, go read that. Let that stir your heart. Let it strengthen you this week. That God is doing something in his house, in his body. What a privilege to be a part of it. Will you stand with me? Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for your church. Lord, thank you that we, we have these times together. And, and sometimes it looks different. Sometimes it's crazy moments of ministry. Sometimes it's long times of worship. Sometimes it's the preaching of the word. Sometimes it's just encouraging. But Lord, every time you're here. And we love you. And I'm so grateful for what you're doing in this house. Lord, I pray today that everyone would just catch the heart of what's happening in this house right now. That we are saying yes to you, Holy Spirit. We're saying yes to you, Jesus, and you're leading us. And Lord, we want to be obedient. We pray for grace to hear you, grace to see you, grace to obey, grace to be led by you, Holy Spirit. 
Lord, I bless every person in this room right now. I thank you for their families. I thank you for their marriages. I thank you for their work environments, all the assignments over their life right now. Lord, I bless them in Jesus' name, and I thank you that they would see their lives as intricately woven into the dream of God, that this is not just an individual little life, but it's actually, it counts, it matters for eternity. So God, thank you for the privilege of being family, the privilege of being your house. We bless you and we love you. And we pray like Isaiah did in Isaiah 6. Lord, here I am. Send me. We bless you and we love you in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen.